Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, yes, on the first try this time. Super excited to be here with you. Um, How many people have Christmas shopping done? A couple people, yes. How many people have not started Christmas shopping yet? Most of you. All right. So most most of the years for us, um, coming from the family that I come from, you know, I'm, I've said before, I'm number seven of 15 kids growing up. So Black Friday is shopping day because we have to buy a lot of presents. That is the sale day, right? So so we've got most of it done. And um, I'm, I'm now at that phase as an adult where my daughter, my 11-year-old daughter, you know what she wants for Christmas more than anything? A phone. You know what I get to do a lot when she asks? Exercise that no muscle and laugh. It's really, really fun for me at home. <clears throat> She's pulling out all the stops too. Dad, I promise I won't ask for a present for two more years if you get me a phone this year. And I'm like, well, that's the life cycle of a phone, right? She goes, yeah. It's like, okay. So I see where you're going with this, but no. Um, but I love the Christmas season. I love uh, getting ready for just the, the morning of Christmas. And, and like um, Ashley had said, Christmas Eve service here. Um, last year we did it, and the plan was to go outside and have our candlelight portion of the service outside and sing Christmas carols into Christmas morning at midnight. And um, it was kind of unfortunate but also awesome. It was dumping snow at Christmas Eve around midnight last year, so we did it inside here, but then we still got to go outside at midnight Christmas morning, and it was snowing, and it was, it was super fun. So I hope you guys can all join us for our Christmas Eve service Saturday night. It's going to be really, really special and really awesome. And being from California, that was our first white Christmas ever. That made it even better. Now, last week we began a series um, covering the, the names of Jesus that you can see uh, behind me on the wall here. So if you have your Bibles, turn them to Isaiah chapter 9 and also uh, put a, a dog ear or a bookmark in Matthew 14. There's a couple passages we're going to go through today. But um, we, we've been, we talked about these, these names, and last week I talked about Hendel's Messiah, you know, that, that chorus that most people know, and how it was derived from Isaiah 9 in the names of Jesus. So we, we talked about last week how God was so excited about this gift of Jesus, so excited that 700 years before he was born, he was telling Isaiah to tell the people, this is what his name is going to be, and he gave him these four names. 700 years before, that is a proud dad, Right? That's like the, the dad watching their kid on the football field. That's my boy. That's, that's my kid. Or for me, um, I just got to watch um, Avery, my six-year-old, have her first ballet recital yesterday. And she was dancing around on stage, and I'm sitting there watching like, that's my, that's my daughter. This is so fun. And she also was um, singing the lyrics to the ballet song at the top of her lungs. And her face was squinted, and she was shaking her head. And I was, I was like, that's my daughter. That's right. But, but you know, this, we have those moments as parents, like, that's my kid, you get proud. And God, I think, was doing this. He's like, this is my son, I can't wait for the world to meet him, Isaiah, 700 years from now, but tell him now, this is what he's going to be. And we read Isaiah chapter 9, verses, uh, the whole passage of Isaiah 9, but today we're going to focus again on just 6 and 7 where he talks about this. So Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Those are such powerful names. And last week, we, we really unpacked Wonderful Counselor together. Now, in 700 BC, the people of Israel, they were facing a very hostile enemy force. 
that the nation of Assyria, or, or modern-day Iraq, was raiding and conquering, causing all sorts of terror throughout Israel, and particularly on Israel's northern and eastern borders. And that, that's how the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali were, Naphtali, sorry, were, were humbled. And it talks about that in Isaiah, these, these lands being humbled. And that's what was happening right there. They were the northeastern states of the Union of Israel and just being totally terrorized by the surrounding nations. And God knew how they were feeling. So he, he gives them this message through the spokesperson, Isaiah. He says, guys, don't be afraid. Have courage, have joy. This is what's coming. You're, there, there are gonna be days where you're gonna feel as happy as you do on payday. Everybody loves payday, right? And, and in Bible times, this was called the harvest day. So God was saying, on the day of harvest, you're gonna feel the joy that you do on the day of harvest. He says, you're also gonna feel relieved and as joyful as you did the day that you heard the war has ended. And for them, that's what, this is the day they called Midian's defeat. And when Midian's defeat came, that was just the most, most joyful news they got in a long time. And God says, don't worry, these days are coming where you're going to feel this peace. You're going to feel this joy. It's going to be 700 years later. But you're going to feel these things. And the outcome of the war against Midian was uncertain until God brought them this huge victory that only he could have brought them. And God said this, the way you're going to get relief the way you're going to get the relief from the joy of this, this action is something that you will never anticipate. I'm going to send a baby to you. I'm going to send you a baby. This baby is going to do amazing things. You can't even comprehend what this baby is going to do. When was the last time you looked at a baby and thought this baby is going to change the world? Aside from your own kids, because we all know that about our own kids. But when someone says, here's my baby, and you look at that and you go, that baby is going to change the world. That's what God was saying. My baby's coming. My baby will change the world. My baby will deliver you. This child will leave you. The government will be on his shoulders. If you want to know what this child's going to be like, I'll tell you. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God, an everlasting father, and he is the prince of peace. And this morning, we're going we're to unpack that second phrase that he says, where he says, he is a mighty God. And if you, if you stay with this text through this series, I think every week we're going to learn to see this baby in a brand new light, and even this, this Bethlehem birth in a whole new experience, and it can change Christmas, and it can change us for the better. It says this, he will be called Mighty God. Mighty God. Now, there's a lot of phrases in life that, that follow the word mighty, right? You can think, um, we have, there's um, um, high and mighty is a phrase that comes with mighty. There's, oh, how the mighty have fallen, we all know that one. Um, pen is mightier than the sword. There's the almighty dollar. Bruce Almighty. <clears throat> In this paradox, though, we see God saying this, this mighty passage. He tells the people, one day this child will come and he is going to be a mighty God, a baby, the most vulnerable of human beings, an infant who can't do anything for himself. This is your mighty God. The baby can't defend himself. He can't communicate. I'll tell you when he's hungry. A baby completely dependent on one, but he's the almighty God. And that's, that's the exciting part about Christmas, right? We, we know the story. We, we get to read scripture. We see how this plays out. We see from birth to the death to the resurrection. But back then, it's just the baby. And God is saying, this baby is going to change everything. There is something small coming with limitless power. But I don't think people quite understood how powerful he was going to be. And sometimes, and I think this is the, the problem with Israel, and we face this today too, we let our, our mighty problems distract us from our mighty God. If you look on the table in front of me, you'll see a couple boxes, and um, I'll get to these later, but one says mighty problems, and one says God. 
And I love it. One of our students walked in and goes, how come the problem box is bigger than the God box? And I said, just wait for, wait for service, all right? I'll explain it. <clears throat> but sometimes we let our problems look a lot bigger than our God. Now, one time, years before this prophecy, years before this is happening, the nation of Israel is facing this unconquering enemy by the name of Midian. They're attacking Israel. They're being relentless, terrorizing them left and right, stealing their food, stealing their animals, taking their resources, um, killing people. They're just totally oppressing Israel. And the Israelites, year after year, tried to stop the Midianites, but they just couldn't. This army was too big. It was too powerful. And they had Israel reduced and just enslaved. Given the size of the Midianite army, Israel was weak. They couldn't do it. They were just superior. The Midianites were superior to Israel. So they did exactly what many of us would do. They tried anything and everything under their own power. And when all else has failed, they cried out to God saying, God, save us. I think we can all think of those moments, right? Where you, uh, you, you tell God, God, I'm at the end of my rope. I've tried everything. I've, I've done everything I can possibly do. I need you to step in because I just can't do this on my own anymore. Israel is at that point. They're saying, God, you got to save us. We can't do it. And God does. But he does this in the most unusual way to show how he is a mighty God. In Judges chapter 6, we see the story. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, they blew it. Again, not like us, right? We don't ever blow it. But Israel blew it. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So you see strategies that armies use today, hiding in caves. This is actually something they still did in Bible times, too. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land, ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And, and for, for the purposes of, of time, I'll, I won't read the whole story, but I'll, I'll kind of recap and go through what happens because it's an incredible story where you see a small package do something huge. So in response to Israel's cries for help, God says, I'm going to deliver you. Here is your appointed deliverer, a very unlikely deliverer. He gets a man named Gideon. He says, all right, Gideon, you are going to deliver Israel. And Gideon was, was almost an unlikely hero, as you could imagine. When, when God comes to him, God says this to him. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Most people, that boosts you up, right? You hear God come to you and say, you are a mighty warrior. That's like confidence boost, ego boost. Yeah. Gideon says the opposite. You know what his response is? He questions it. He goes, mighty warrior? God, God, are you serious? How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my family. Do you think Israel's excited to see this guy? No, if that's his response, right? God, you're the mighty warrior. I'm weak, I'm small, my family stinks, I'm out. He says, no, this is not like the William Wallace style, freedom, let's go, guy you're looking for. He is the total opposite he is not the war hero. This is not the person he expected himself to be. But God says to him, he says, Gideon, here, this is, again, the paraphrase. Gideon, here's the deal. I want to deal with Midianites, and I want Israel to understand that I am delivering them, and so I've chosen you. I've chosen, I'm going to do something really, really big with something really, really small. So Gideon, the Midianites are about to attack your country with 120,000 soldiers. 120,000 people are coming, and I'm going to use you to defeat them. You know how many people you get? 300. 
Yes, this was before it was the movie. You're getting an army of 300 people. And just to make it fair, God didn't even allow these 300 people to get training in boot camp. He said, this is going to be your 300 people. And through a series of process of elimination where, where he said, all right, have the soldiers do this. All right, the ones who didn't do that, now take them aside. Oh, the ones who didn't do that, now take them aside. It got to the point where he had people say, hey, go see who drinks water and drinks it like a dog, lapping it up with their tongue. And that's how God picked 300 people to save Israel. And they go, and they have this amazing fight. And under the 300 people with Gideon and God leading the charge, they beat the army of 120,000. That's a phenomenal story, and they are never again troubled by the Midianites. So when, when this, the story says, you're going to feel like you did the day the war Midian ended, that was a very joyful day. That was a, something they could all resonate with. And the moral of the story is this. God does something great through something small. God does something great through something small. And this is what Isaiah is saying when he says, this baby is going to be the mighty God. This is something so small. This is something so innocent, so precious, so helpless. But this is your mighty God. Last week, we talked about the original Hebrew language words for wonderful counselor. And I love the way, um, welcome back to the school of Hebrew. It comes into um, with mighty God. The, the Hebrew word for mighty God is El Gabor. Mighty God, El Gabor. El is, is the noun phrase, and Gabor is the adjective that, that modifies the noun. And El, when you see this in Scripture, if you ever go through and, and see this referred to, it's the shortened word of Elohim, which is the common name used for God in the Old Testament. It would either say Elohim or El, and it was always talking about God, the power, the, the mighty God. When the Bible says its very first verse in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the word for God there is actually Elohim. So this is a word that's carried through Scripture. And the mighty one, El, so it says El is short for it. It actually means, directly translated, the mighty one. So El is the mighty one, which is interesting because Gabor, the, the second phrase that defines it, Gabor translated is mighty. So what Isaiah 9, 6 is literally saying, directly translated is, he will be called the mighty, mighty one. He will be called the mighty, mighty one. And this is this is kind of a paradox when you think of it as a baby, right? He puts something great in front of something small, and it's, it's hard for rational people to follow. You know, if you're someone who says, I'm just going to look at it logically, I'm just going to look at it scientifically, this, this doesn't make sense that the mighty one would be such a small baby. How can a baby be a mighty, mighty God? Let's have fun for a moment and talk about the amazing things this baby did before he could even walk. From, from ancient times, we talked a little bit about prophecies and how many prophecies Jesus fulfilled just being the one man he was. But do you know how many prophecies he fulfilled before he could even walk? Before Jesus could even walk, there are 12 prophecies that he fulfilled. One of them says that he was the offspring of a woman in Genesis 3.15. From a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. The son of God in Psalms 2.7 a descendant of Abraham in Genesis 22. He'd be from the line of Isaac in Genesis 21, from the nation of Israel in Numbers 24. He'd be from the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49. He'd be from the family of Jesse in Isaiah 11. He'd be from the house of David in Jeremiah 23. He'd be born in Bethlehem in Micah chapter five. He'd be presented with gifts, Psalm 72. And that because of his birth, children would be killed, Jeremiah 31. You know how hard it is to fulfill any one prophecy? 
just, just any one. Jesus fulfilled 12 simply by being born. That's astronomical. That's, that's something only God can do. You know how rare this is? Several years back, a professor named Peter W. Stoner wrote a book titled Science Speaks, and he was using this mathematical equation to talk about how improbable it would be for Jesus, for any one man, to fulfill these prophecies. He said fulfilling eight of these prophecies. This was the equation he came with. He said it'd be one times 10 to the 17th for any one man to fulfill eight of these prophecies. And one times 10 to the 17th roughly looks like this. 100 zillion. That's a big number. That's a big number. One, one in 100 zillion would be one person fulfilling eight of these prophecies. And to get people to understand just how rare that is, this is what he said, this, and this is mind-blowing. If we take 10 to the 17th, so 100 zillion silver dollars, and lay them on the face of Texas, they would cover the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man, tell him to travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar, and that's the right one. That's how rare it is that one person could fulfill eight of the prophecies. And Jesus did it by being born. He fulfilled 12. That, that is our mighty God right there. That is God at work doing amazing things through something so small. I mean, how many of you think that if scripture was lined out, you could fulfill eight if you really, really tried? Spent your whole life going for two. <laughs> like, it, it'd be really, really rough. But it got better throughout his adult life. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. One man did what we would say is impossible. And when he grew up, people marveled at him. People marveled at his might, the, the things he was able to do, because this was God in the flesh in one man, one package. Skeptics often scoff at Jesus' ability to perform miracles, but miracles are only miracles because they're outside the law of science that we perceive, right? But how natural is it for God to be the one that say, hey, I created that, I can do whatever I want with it. So while we're bound to, to the natural laws, God says, I can do the unnatural. I can do the amazing. I can do a miracle because he is the mighty God. Sometimes, though, everywhere, well, everywhere he went, people watched him. They watched him heal people. They watched him heal their bodies, sometimes their minds, sometimes their souls, often all three in one brief encounter. One time, Jesus gets word that his closest cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed. And uh, John the Baptist, if, if uh, you're familiar with scripture, you know, Jesus' cousin, he was preparing the way for Jesus. And the king's wife got really, really tired of John spreading this word. Really, really tired of John telling people that the Messiah had come, that he was here. And so one day when she was offered anything she wished, she said, I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. And it was granted to her. How would you feel if you get news like this? A family member, a loved family member, the, the one that baptized you, had just been killed by somebody. It hurt Jesus deep. It hurt him deep. He cared for John. And I can imagine this is on his mind the next day. And it's, often in life when we, when we face a tragedy, it's sometimes, you know, we're, we're down and out for a while, right? And you think you know what I mean. Just emotionally we're down and out. We're, we're physically feeling fatigued. Just when, when tragedy hits, it does a number on us. Jesus, the next day, is in front of a crowd of 5,000 hungry men and women and children. This is the next day. And he performs an incredible miracle with loaves and fishes. This is a mighty God. I don't know anyone else who could pull something off quite like that, especially given what happened the day before other than Jesus. 
And then he keeps going. The text says immediately after he does this, after he feeds these people, he goes off to have this all-night prayer session. And he tells the disciples, get in the boat. I'll catch up to you later. I don't even know exactly what they were thinking because they were getting on a boat and he said he'd catch up, but they did it. And Jesus goes to pray. And the Sea of Galilee is where they go. And this is, the Sea of Galilee is a unique lake. It, it sits inland from the Mediterranean Sea, about 30 miles. It's 1,200 feet below sea level. So it's, it's in this valley. And when the weather turns in the low valley, the weather turns. And it gets nasty. And so the Bible says at 3 a.m., Jesus finished his almost all-night prayer session. And he's ready to go catch up to his disciples. And he knows you know, not only does he have no boat, but he told them to go. So they're way out on the sea. He's on the shore. And so Jesus does what any man would do and decide, I'm just going to go walk on the water towards him. It's not frozen. No big deal. It's Jesus. Logic, right? He just starts walking out on the sea, starts walking towards the disciples. And in fact, we just talked about the weather being bad. As he's walking, the weather gets bad. And there's a storm coming and waves are going and the disciples are on the boat and they're freaking out just by the mere sight of the storm that they're in. And can you imagine what happens when they look over and they see Jesus walking towards them? Jesus wasn't even thinking about himself when the wind picks up. He wasn't looking at the waves. I mean, I think if I had the ability to go, I'm going to walk on water. Even if I could, if I saw the waves, it'd still be freaky. Jesus is not concerned. He's on a mission to get to his disciples. And here's how it describes it in Matthew 14. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, rightfully so, right, we would think, and began to sink he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. That's pretty powerful stuff. That's amazing stuff. I mean, Peter, yes, he sunk, but what did he do before he sank? The man was walking on water. He was looking right at Jesus, and he did it. He had his sights focused, and he was walking on water. Who else could enable somebody to do that? Nobody. That is a mighty God. That's a mighty God. That's powerful stuff. Jesus, just a few things that he had done to show off that he was this mighty God. He fed over 5,000 with just a few loaves and a few fish. He walked on the water in the storm. He empowered a friend to get out of the boat and walk on the water. And in other stories, when the storm is coming, you know what he tells it? You just calm down now. And the storm calms down. He calms a storm. That's big, mighty, amazing work from what people could look at and say, this is a small package. This is just one man. Big work from a small package. Over 2,000 years ago, he sent us this message. He sent a little package to earth, and he gave it to Mary. He said, Mary, handle with care. You are handling the almighty God. This is the mighty God. And this little baby was mighty in his birth grew up to be even mightier, conquering forces, changing the world, saving lives that people didn't even realize needed saving, giving them freedom they didn't even know they needed freedom from. Totally different than expected, but it was incredibly mighty. There's a question that, that I want to ask you today. What are the great forces coming after you personally today? 
the answer is going to be different for so many of us. But in your life today, what is something that is coming at you? What is something that you feel like, I can't get away from this? I, I, I look at this in the face every day, and it is hard. This, this is a mighty problem. This is a big, mighty problem in my life. Might it be unemployment? And it might be struggling for work right now. Or maybe you, you have a job, but, but it's, it's looking hard. Like if things are slowing down, it's just, it's getting rough. This can be a huge force blowing against your life, can it? Especially even in the Christmas season. Might it be fear? Just something in your life that you're afraid of. Something that you say, when I think about this, I just get, I, I get paralyzed. I don't know what to do because it is so scary to face this right now. Fear can be crippling sometimes. When you give into it, it can shut you down. Is there some type of uh, temptation in your life right now? Something where you think, man, this is just, this keeps throwing itself at me and, and I keep giving in. It's just, I, I can't stop doing this. I need help. This is so big. This is a mighty big temptation I'm facing. Something you're doing, something you're tempted to do that it eats away at you, even, even maybe even right now. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe there's your struggle with alcohol or substance abuse. There's something in your life you can't kick. Maybe there's a relationship that you're in that, that you've crossed some boundaries and you know, hey, we've got to take a step back. We've got to refocus our relationship because this is not okay. Maybe you're, maybe you're a great force, a, a great fear in your life for something is self-doubt, discouragement, depression. There's so many things people deal with and so many things that, that some of us may even say, oh, I'll never deal with that. Why is that such a big deal? But somebody else, man, that is just, it's rocking them right now. We all go through things. We all go through hard things that we would look at and say, God, this is a mighty problem. This is really, really big, and I need help. One reason I think God was so eager to, to tell people the news about the coming of his son on Christmas, you know, doing it 700 years before the fact, was because he was eager for us, he was eager for us to do something that Jesus' closest friends discovered he could, they could do with Jesus some years after his birth. They could walk with him. They could walk with Jesus. Peter, one of his closest friends and companions, found the technique he had discovered was so helpful, he wrote this letter to his friends to help them to encourage it when, there's, when he learned how to do this walking with Jesus. Peter writes in his letter, 1 Peter 5, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. That line at the end there is, is a big one. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares cares for you. Even just that last phrase, he cares for you. In the midst of your mighty problems, he cares for you. He wants those problems. He wants, you to, he wants to show you he can handle those problems. So how do we receive God's gracious gift? How do, how do we receive this promise that he has to provide personal care for us? It's right there in the verse. One, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Admit you're not as mighty as maybe you pretend to be. I can pretend really good sometimes, be really, really big and mighty and strong, but sometimes in the, the deepest moments, the darkest moments, we've got to go to God and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not as big as I think I am. I can't do this. I mean, I'm, no, I'm not going to raise your hand here, but how many of us have a hard time asking for help sometimes? We, we just think, I've got to do this. I, I've got to be able to overcome this. Sometimes even society would say this, for, for men sometimes even, as the man of the house, you better do this. You have to, and it's hard to ask for help sometimes. Women face the same thing when, when it comes to sometimes motivation and self-esteem. If I ask for help, then I could be looked at this way. But God wants us to ask for help. He wants to say, hey, put yourself aside for forever, honestly. Put yourself aside. Come to me. I want to help. Don't pretend to be bigger than you are. Humbly come to God. The second, cast your anxiety on him 
Tell them about the storms in your life. Tell them about what's going on. Tell them when you need help. Israel did it. They said, God, we've done everything we can. We need you. And God said, I've got you. Let's do this. Tell God about your storms. Watch what he can do in your storms. And here's what I want to do today. I want to give everyone a chance to do just a, a moment in front of God here as, as a congregation together. And what I'd like you guys to do is uh, just as everyone's here, just, just close your eyes for a minute and, and, and think about this. I'd like you to, to take your hands, just kind of put them up in a posture, if you would, maybe rest them on your knees, but just kind of palms up. And as, as you're doing this this morning, just, just think of anything and say, you know what, God? This is where I need to listen to you. This is where I'm presenting something to you. Think about the trial in your life, the problem in your life. Whatever, when I say we all have mighty problems in your life right now, as you're holding your hands out, think, God, I am holding up right now my mighty problem. And if you're online right now joining us, um, you, can, you can type if you have a mighty problem you want prayer for. There's someone that can pray for you online right now. But, but just, just sit here for just a few seconds, just in silence, and just present God your mighty problem. There's some things in our lives that we'd rather not handle alone, God, and we give these to you right now. God, you are mightier than the mightiest problems. And I pray that as, as we present this to you, God, we cast it to you. We let you take it, God, and we, we don't take it back, but we give it to you, and we, we know that you can deal with it, God. Amen. I know there, there are some strong winds blowing in our lives right now. I think every one of us has something strong blowing against us. There are temptations here and there. There are old patterns and habits that we can so easily fall back into. Even moments where we do something like this, you know, we can say, I gave it to God, but then what do we do later? We say, actually, I'm, I'm going to take that back. I'm, I'm going I'm to work on this alone. But there's lots of temptations. There's financial worries, fears about kids, concerned about loved ones. Surely if God, if, if he can feed the the over 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a few fish, if he can walk on the water, if he can have an army of 300 beat an army of 120,000, he can handle our problems. He can handle our problems. <clears throat> now, if you look at these boxes, we see that we have uh, the phrases on it. We have mighty problems and we have God. Now, the thing is, we, we come down, I'm going to step down right here for a second. When we have these problems, what we do is we say, all right, God, I've got these problems. And in church today, we put our hands up, and I'm giving you my problems. And we start taking, taking these problems. We start saying, here's what it is, whether it's finances. God, it's temptation. I'm just going to put it in my problems box. I'm going to take this way. You know what, God? This, is, this has been a temptation I fall into all the time. Not anymore. I'm giving it to you. You know what, God? Actually, all my problems. Take all my problems. You've got it. But the problem is, if, if, we, if we just look at it this way, and we start thinking, actually, you know what, God? That one was a little hard. I'm going to... I got to take that back. I got to take that back. That one, that was, uh, that, that was really, really rough. God, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you a problem. No, it's, it's mine. I think we've all done that in some way, shape, or form sometimes. So that's because we have, we have our problems bigger than our God. We say, God, I, I gave it to you, but, but now it just looks like now you're just in the mix of my problems, and it's not being handled the way that I want it to be handled. It's, I'm not seeing the results I want to see. So as a matter of fact, God, I, I think I'm going to handle this on my own. And I think what we need to do is have this mind shift where we say, you know what? 
our mighty problem really is nothing when we compare it to the size of our mighty God. And when we do this mind shift, we get to say, you know what? I'm going to take my mighty problems and I'm, I, can, I can put the whole thing in there and I never have to look at this anymore. I don't have to let this be overwhelming because our problems, God handles our problems. He's bigger than our problems. And when we put all of our problems in his box, God says, I can take care of it. You don't have to reach in and take it out. Let him be bigger than your problem. Let him be the one who says, I took it. Don't have to look at it anymore. When you look at that problem now, you don't even see it anymore. All you see is your mighty God. When the disciples looked out on that storm, Jesus wanted them to focus on him. And for a moment, Peter did. He looked out and said, I don't see the storm. I see my mighty God. Let's let that be our focus. Look at God in the mystery of our problems. Look at him to take over your problems. Look at him to conquer your problems and know that whatever it is, it's not bigger than he is. You can give it to him. I'd like to invite the, the worship team up this morning as we start to come to a close. It also occurs to me that the disciples did something, something so profound in that moment. Peter got out of the boat. Peter could have easily said, Jesus, if it's you, call to me and I'll come to you. And Jesus said, hey, come. And he could have said, has I changed my mind, actually? I'm just going to stay here, but you keep coming to me. Peter got out of the boat. For all of us today, make the conscious decision. Say, you know what, Jesus, today I'm getting out of the boat. I'm getting out of the boat. I'm taking this step of faith. For whatever it is you're dealing with, take that step to say, I am not going to sit back on the boat. I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to keep my sights on you. I'm not going to let the waves distract me. I'm going to let you distract me from the waves. I'm going to keep my eyes focused on you. When you cast your cares, thanks gathering, I couldn't have said it any better than Sandy did in her letter. She said, it was a paraphrased version. Sorry, Sandy, if I botched this. She said, when I cast my cares to you, I don't want to cast it like a fishing line where I can reel it back in. I want to cast it and let it go. When we cast our cares on God, we cast our anxieties, cast them and let them go. Let him show you that he can do it. Get out of the boat. And for some of us, even maybe getting out of the boat looks like starting a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe getting out of the boat literally means I'm going to get out of the boat of my life and walk towards a life with Jesus because you just haven't done it yet. If that's you today, I'd love to talk to you after church. I'd love to talk to you. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not today, but at some point this week, give me an email or a phone call. Fill out the connection card and say you want to meet up and have coffee. Let's talk about what this is. If you're online, uh, type your information online. Click uh, I need prayer and give your information to somebody there online. Connect so I can connect with you. Get out of the boat. Get out of the boat and walk towards Jesus and see that such a small, it started with such a small package, a baby, a helpless baby, but he is our mighty God. Amen? Would you stand with me? <clears throat> Father, you are so good, and you are so amazing, and you are so mighty. God, I, I ask that for all of us today, for those of us who put our hands up and, and cast something to you, God, I pray that we cast it. We don't dwell on it, God. You, you show us the way, you, you show us your work in this problem, God, and you show us that you are mightier than anything could ever stand in our way. Nothing can stand against you because you are the mighty God. So God, we, we give you today, we give you our lives, God, and we know that in all things, our biggest mountains are nothing to you. And we can't wait to see your miracles and your miraculous work and your mighty deliverance from these issues. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.